1: Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up!
0: Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy. This is Mark Bricorian, Executive Director of the Center. And we have a special guest this week, Jeff Sessions, former senator, former attorney general, one of the leaders on the immigration issue. In fact, is probably the single person most responsible for stopping the earlier amnesty pushes by President Bush and President Obama. And he was kind enough to come into the studio, and uh, we just wanted
1: to talk some immigration with him. Thanks for coming into the studio, Senator. Thank you, Mark. It's good to be with you, and thank you for the center's work. I got to tell you, uh, good, honest numbers dealing with the facts of immigration are very hard to come by. And the establishment governmental agencies do not put them out if it doesn't advance their agenda. Amen. And your guys, Steve Camerota and team and you have produced some of the most valuable numbers out there. And I cited them, as you know, very, very frequently in the debates in the Senate. So
0: the issue that's in the news, obviously, is the border. The border is collapsing President Biden undid almost everything that the Trump administration had done, stuff you had done at Justice and Homeland Security elsewhere. What are you thinking when you look at what's going on at the border?
1: Mark, it's difficult to overstate how tough it was for the Trump administration to make progress. Lawsuits were filed. And of course, as Attorney General, and we dealt with them and we defended the president's actions. And we began to win cases and change policies, and the success was real, and numbers fell. And it was thrown away by this administration. What they did exceeds anything imaginable to me. The numbers now are worse than they were when President Trump took over, and they were bad then. and were crisis then. To give away the remain in Mexico policy, to reverse some of the opinions I issued as Attorney General that were rational and legal and proper, they just reversed them. Anything they could do to stop day one, the wall construction, having to pay contract penalties because they stopped in midstream contractors from doing work, it's just one of the most amazing, irresponsible anti-law things I've ever seen in my life in Washington.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. The wall specifically, it's almost like the agriculture subsidies where we pay farmers not to grow food. I mean, essentially in the Biden administration, they were paying these contractors not to build the wall. It was ridiculous. So have you talked to any people who you knew from in the administration wherever they were, you know, sort of what are their thoughts? What have you heard from people? I mean, either people from the White House that you would work with or justice. Any people like that you've heard from or talked to since you'd
1: left? Well, I guess I would say from crime and immigration, there's a clear sense uh, that this administration wants no aggressive action. Um, Some of the U.S. attorneys prosecuting criminal cases. Of all kinds don't feel supported, interesting, and uh, that they are urged to not seek the standard punishments required by law, but to somehow weaken the punishments, even when they do prosecute. So I think there's been a major demoralization of the border patrol officers, particularly. Sure. And your listeners are sophisticated, but there's a simple concept that we should keep in mind when President Trump left office, the numbers were, what, well under a million entering illegally. Well under that, yeah. Well under that. And now it's over two million. got the same number of Border Patrol officers, the same duties, but you've got more than twice as many entrants illegally. You get demoralized and you're not being supported. You see the administration changing policies that you know are going to make it harder to maintain law, then it's a bad cycle. You want a virtuous cycle. As Trump had finally achieved, where the numbers were dropping, then you've got more agents per illegal entrant. It's just so You can do a better and better
0: job, basically. And
1: better and better, and you're coming to a point where you can achieve legality. And so a new president can do this. And we shouldn't be hopeless. I want to say to your listeners, do not give up. This is not a lost cause. If we get the right policies and some legal changes and loophole closings that will help in the legal side, we can make this happen and make this country proud of our legal system, not an embarrassment to the great nation that we have.
0: I think you're right about that. That a lot of people look at this and say, Oh my God, how can we stop this? Two million people a year plus illegal alien arrests. This administration is letting them go. There's really nothing we can do to stop it. But in fact, if we make the kind of changes you're suggesting, people respond and you'll see numbers drop pretty quickly. As we saw after President Trump's election and when he was inaugurated, numbers collapsed because people were like, Well, let's wait and see. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe he's going to be serious about this. Of course, they started to the creep back up because there was a limit to what you all could do. It was
1: not physically possible to do everything we'd right. like to do. Yes, and they figured they could overwhelm the system. Right. But you are right. This is very significant to me. The individual in Mexico, Central America, South America, most of them have relatives and friends in the United States. They call and they want to know what's happening. Yep. And if the person says the board is wide open and if you come in, you'll be released and you won't be deported. You can pay the $10,000 to the smuggler and it'll all be fine. Come on in. Right. Whereas if the phone call results and they're getting tough, things are getting harder and harder. A lot of people are not getting through. They're losing their $10,000. They're, they're being sent back home then the numbers start dropping. Exactly. And the mathematics works in your favor. Right,
0: exactly. So what do you think about the elections that are coming up? Let's say the Republicans take one or both houses. They're almost certain to take the House. They may take the Senate. What do you think is going to happen? Because without the White House, there's a limit to what you can do, right?
1: Well, there's a limit to what you can do. But there are some things you could do. You could bring a Mayorkas in. That's true. Extensive hearings as to why he's failed and make him say under oath whether or not he's got the border under control and answer some real tough questions. Secondly, a majority in the House can control the budget, Mm -hmm. and there are ways to use appropriations both to fund enhanced projects at the border that would be more effective, and also you could perhaps negotiate with the president. If you want your pet project money, we want you to step up enforcement A, B, C, and D. So I do think that we begin to make real progress. And then you could tee it up for a presidential election, a major decision for the country. Will we have a lawful system of immigration that serves the national interest or will we not? And we're committed to fixing this broken system. And then the people choose. That's what democracy is.
0: So you served in the Senate, obviously, for a while. You served with Senator Biden, when he was in the Senate at some point, you must have overlapped. Oh, yeah. Did you expect that this is the way he would conduct himself as president once he had that responsibility?
1: Not quite. I thought he would be on the left side. Sure. I thought he would keep his toes in the middle a little bit and try to protect his image as a moderate Democrat. He's totally abandoned that. He has no presence in the middle. He's Every agenda item is a progressive left-wing agenda. And what he did at the border and on crime are two of the most disastrous things that I've seen a president do. Let me repeat that. I was in the Senate 20 years. I was U.S. attorney, federal prosecutor in Alabama for 12 years before that. Alabama Attorney General. I'm telling you, what they've done on crime was predictable and it was a disaster. And the president should be standing firm against it. Last year, the FBI statistics recorded the highest increase in crime in 60 years. These entire 60 years of the numbers. Right. And part of that's driven by criminals coming in from abroad illegally. Right. Mark, we had a joke in Alabama about going to Texas. When you got in trouble with a law in Alabama, (laughs) the (laughs) local sheriff would say, you can go to Texas, and we won't put you in jail. You know, in poor countries, they don't keep people in jail 30, 40 years. Sure, sure. So they're glad to get rid to get of them. get out of
0: town, right, exactly. So if
1: you're a child molester, and uh, the sheriff and the police chief in Honduras knows you, what are you going to do? you got a cousin in Los Angeles. You just go across the border. So I think we are picking up a larger number of criminals than uh, we used to, in the immigration system. Interesting. Mark perhaps you could comment on this, but I have a sense that the whole world is now just learning that it's not just Mexicans and Central Americans that can come illegally. They can come illegally too.
0: Oh, absolutely. And so
1: we may be facing a flow from the Middle East and Libya's and places like that that we've never seen before as they learn how to do it.
0: Do you yeah. think so? Oh, absolutely, because the word spreads. It's not like people are sitting around watching CNN all the time, but word spreads. And now we're seeing Mexico is still the biggest single sending country, but that's just because it's such a big country and it's next door. But the Central American countries aren't even at the top of the list anymore. Now it's spreading out to Venezuela, to Colombia, Haiti, Cuba, and one of our writers, Todd Bensman. He's gone to Panama and Costa Rica and what have you. And he's actually talked with people from Mauritania and Eritrea and Bangladesh and all kinds of places because word spreads. And two more years of this, especially if that Title 42 provision is repealed that allows the Border Patrol to expel people, it's a COVID-era public health thing, and they still use it to some extent, the administration is trying to repeal it. When they repeal that, DHS itself thinks illegal crossings could double or more. With the end of that. And you're going to see, again, more people from Africa, the Middle East, getting Romanian gypsies. You're getting people from China and India because, you know, once the door is open, they'll rush through it, hoping they get through before we wake up and close it again.
1: That's my impression. To me, I wish the Republicans would bring up even before the election. They can't get a vote on the floor, a substantive vote, but they need to use the power of their. Positions to attempt to bring up reforms that would work to make the situation better,
0: even amendments. Right? I mean, yes, that's something you can do. Are, There's all kinds of parliamentary uh, games you can play.
1: I think so, and we need the leadership in the House and the Senate to speak up on it and make clear that if they prevail, that they would um, do something after the election. Right, and. It can make a big difference. So I'm excited about the possibilities. But this is a decisive election. I know you're a nonpartisan group, but I was an elected official. My view is that unless some people lose their seats, maybe on both parties, unless they lose some seats because of immigration laxity, then we may not be able to gain the momentum that we should gain from a victory uh, in November.
0: My fear is that when the Republicans take over in the House, and they're probably going to get the majority, you know, that they're going to squander it. The danger is that they seem to be running a campaign of just saying, look, we're not the Democrats, vote for us, and thinking that's going to be enough. But then when they have the majority, what are they going to do with it? And my fear is they're going to do a few things to sort of placate, mollify, People and then just ignore the rest of the issue so as not to anger the Chamber of Commerce.
1: Well, look, we admit a million people legally, 1.1 million people every year to permanent legal status with a pathway to citizenship. We need to have standards. We need to end the illegality because within that illegal group is a much larger number of people with lacking skills, lacking education, and even with criminal backgrounds than in the legal immigrants. Canada has a point system. It's a merit-based system, and they seek to admit numbers of people that they can absorb and that who will be beneficial to Canada, who will flourish in Canada and not go on welfare and and not be able to take care of themselves in Canada. So that's obviously what any nation should do, and it means protecting your border. And when you're as wealthy as we are with the health care and education systems that we have to open our system up to the world for anybody who wants to come is a colossal disaster. It can never be a legitimate policy of a great nation. Is there
0: anybody in the Senate that— sort of stands out to you as a potential new leader? I don't want you to criticize anybody, but anybody you want to compliment there. But also, have you talked to anybody, any members of the Senate, about the crime or immigration or anything?
1: Well, I've been thinking about maybe communicating more with former colleagues and Mm -hmm. people who are there who've said things that make a lot of sense to me. Right. But I'm not prepared to put the crown on anybody's head (laughs) (laughs) at this time. But there are a lot of people that I think are strong. I just believe that when the leadership does not support real reform, then they are suggesting there's something wrong with real reform. Mm -hmm. So you can feel, when I was in the Senate, I could feel, oh, they'll say, okay, it's okay to talk about immigration, just don't do anything about it. And we would offer legislation, and what I found was and said many times, they will vote for most any bill on immigration that sounds good, but if it really works, it never passes. <laughs> and I think it should be the Republican commitment that we're going to produce a bill that will in- make major progress, that's going to be consistent with a nation that believes in immigration, but we believe in honest immigration, and that it's going to serve the national interest. We'll have a certain number of refugees who get to come here, but uh, fundamentally we're going to get control of this system and end the lawlessness right. and the drugs and the crime that's coming as a result of it. I don't know why our leaders aren't able to do that, and that's one thing I'm pushing for.
0: So ultimately, like you suggested, if we're really going to get change, the administration needs to change as well. In other words, you need a Congress and a president who are both interested in enforcing the law and making reforms where necessary.
1: I would say this. Congress gave President Trump some money to build a wall, but they never really closed some of the loopholes that right. it long since should have been closed. But it did show that a strong executive who works hard within the system, within the 600-page Immigration and Nationality Act law, uh, that's some teeth in that, and it mm-hmm. just needs to be enforced.
0: Right. I'm not asking you to go on the record, but you can if you want to. Any preference for 2024? Uh, have you talked with Governor DeSantis, for instance, or any of the other people who are thinking about running?
1: No. I made a firm decision, at least through this midterm elections. I'm keeping my power to dry, and nobody wants to hear from me anyway. Right. Yeah. So I'll just you know let the things play out. Right. But I do think that any nominee – Needs to be committed to this, not just by a few words, but right. uh, have a certain passionate commitment. When this door is closed, you have to find another door. Right. If they block you here, you go there. Instead of saying, "Oh, we tried and they blocked us," right. and let's just drop and then just
0: give up. Right?
1: We need that determination to be successful, and they can do it. I believe a strong executive can uh, make a big difference.
0: So your successor, Bill Barr, had been attorney general before, so he'd been attorney general twice. Would you uh, ever go back if you were asked to
1: serve again? I've had my time, I'm afraid, but I really liked Bill Barr. When the president was elected, I floated his name. as probably the best choice. I was United States attorney in Alabama when he was the attorney general. Oh, okay. So I served under him. He was Mm -hmm. a smart, tough crime fighter, too. Right. He's very serious about that. So he's a man of integrity. And I think he wanted to help the president, but sometimes things just don't work out. (laughs) Right. So what are you up
0: to now? I mean, you're basically you're spending time with your grandchildren. Is that correct?
1: Well, Um, that's true. I've got 10. Wow. Florida and Virginia and Alabama. Mm -hmm. And so that has been something I've neglected over the years more than I would like. And I'm giving a good bit of time I like your Statues of Liberty that you've got here. But we have a we collection
0: to, in the office for yeah, listeners. Yeah.
1: I am putting a considerable amount of time right now into thinking and developing some plans in Alabama and maybe nationwide that would improve our teaching of history and ah, civics. Okay. Interesting. And we got a lot of. We need uh, that for sure. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand the. How rare the constitutional order is, mm-hmm. and how if judges will faithfully enforce the law and the Constitution without politics, and that this is providing the basis for our freedom and mm-hmm. our prosperity. And that's why people want to come here, mm-hmm. really? Because right. there's stability and security. you can own property and it won't be taken from you. So this kind of uh, teaching, in the light of the denigration of our founding, Right. Is important. Ashbrook Center that I've worked with, they teach the Declaration of Independence by reading the document.
0: Right. Imagine that.
1: Not left wing right. stories about what the document says, but actually what the founders said. And then Frederick Douglass mm-hmm. cited the Declaration of Independence to advance human rights in in the United States. Right. Lincoln cited the Declaration. Martin Luther King cited the Declaration. So, how is the founding so evil? Right, right. If some of our most civil libertarians and civil rights leaders cited it. So, we need to end this denigration of the founding of the greatest republic in world history.
0: Well, good luck to you. I hope you get some progress on that. And I'll let you go now. I know you have to run. Jeff Sessions has joined us, a former attorney general, former U.S. senator, one of the leaders in the immigration control movement. We'd be in a lot worse condition if you hadn't been a leader in the Senate and in the administration. So thanks again for coming in and good luck.
1: Thank you. And uh, thank you for what CIS does. It's one of the most valuable voices in the country. No doubt about it.
0: Thank you. And finally, instead of my usual uh, rant at the end of the episode, I just wanted to highlight two events we have coming up, one next week, one the following week. They're both in D.C., but we will stream them and the video will be available online as well afterwards. The first one is Thursday, October 6th and in the morning, and it will be called The Cultural Impact of Immigration. And what we're going to be doing is talking about a recent book by New York University professor Lawrence Mead. His book is entitled Burden of Freedom Cultural Difference and American Power, and he talks in there to some degree about the cultural consequences of immigration. And we're gonna have respondents or discussants, we'll include Peter Scarry, he's a professor of political science at Boston College, and Ramesh Panuru, who is an editor at National Review. And that will be at the Army-Navy Club On uh, Thursday, October 6th. This one is next week. The week after that, again, Thursday, this will be October 13th, will be an event entitled The Ukraine War and Its Impacts on Migration. And we'll be talking about the migration effects coming from the uh, war in Ukraine, both here and in Europe. And the speakers there will be Nayla Rush, who's a senior researcher at CIS and has written on the Ukraine migration issues as they relate to the United States. In other words, what are the various avenues that Ukrainians are using to come in? The other speakers will be uh, Jadwiga Emilevich, who's a member of the parliament of Poland and is an advisor to the prime minister on the refugee crisis specifically. Then Krzysztof Veresz, who's a visiting fellow here at the Center for Immigration Studies, We'll talk about the situation in Ukraine itself. He actually visited there recently, spent, I think, 10 days there, and what was the condition of people displaced internally, what's the likelihood they'll then leave. The next speaker, there's five speakers in this panel, so it's a large one, is Victor Marshayi? He's from the Migration Research Institute in Budapest, and he's an expert on African issues and is going to talk about how... The war has created a food crisis in the Middle East and Africa because the exports of food and fertilizer have been interrupted or reduced, which is likely to lead to famine or at least food insecurity in Africa and the Middle East, which will itself then spark increased attempts at migration. And then finally, Monica Palotai, who's a visiting fellow at the Hudson Institute, writes about energy issues. And the relevance here is she's going to be talking about the interruption in energy supplies to Ukraine, especially as winter comes, is likely to spur further migration out of Ukraine. And that obviously affects Europe directly. And then, sort of, a follow on effect is likely to have an effect on the United States. So, those are two events one next week on October 6th the cultural impact of immigration. Then the other, the following Thursday, October 13th, the Ukraine war and its impacts on migration. There'll be information in the show notes, but also at cis.org. Again, as usual, if you have any comments, complaints, criticisms, compliments, even, feel free to direct them our way, either by commenting on one of the whatever platform you use for podcasts, or just DM me at Twitter, and my handle is Mark S. as in Stephen, Mark S. Krikorian. That's all for this week. I hope you tune in next week. Thank you.